<laughs> well, that's kind of fun. Thanks for queuing up a clapping. <laughs> well, hi, everybody. Good evening. I'm going to lower this. This is on. Yep. I'm set. I'm totally tech set, which is not anything I usually ever say in my life. <laughs> that's why my children are around to help me. Um, okay, so tonight we are in Esther 5, and um, I don't know if you've been experiencing the book of Esther this way, but it has felt so rich that it's kind of like, gosh, I can't wait for the next week. So just a reminder, two weeks ago, Lisa was here, and she uh, talked about Esther 3. Remember about the middle spaces, about how this plot um, to annihilate the Jews in the empire of Persia has been decreed and how this is just a middle space for, for them. And she reminded us of in our lives that we have middle spaces. Often we are, we're sitting in things and waiting for God, where are you? What are you doing in this? And just waiting for his hand. And we ended that chapter with uh, Haman. I'm gonna say Haman, cause I'm messing people up when I say Haman. So Haman is having a drink with the king so casually while we're told that the city of Susa has been thrown into chaos. So then last week, Amber taught on Esther 4, and we saw the exchange that happened, that Mordecai appealed to Esther to do something, that she's in the palace be the one to step up and do something. And she is very reluctant about that and for a good reason, right? We know that if she appears before the king and she is not asked to come, that she risks death. That's a very likely outcome. So she's reluctant. She he continues to appeal. She finally agrees to that. And we end that chapter with her saying, if I perish, I perish with that resolve. And Amber reminded us in that chapter that God uses the broken, right? He's not waiting for us to be perfect to use us. The broken us um, are people who can receive grace when we understand our need. So this week we're in chapter five and we open to a scene where uh, it has been three days that they have fasted. Clearly, it's an appeal to God. Again, we don't see the name of God, but this is an appeal to God. What to do? Esther has said, if I perish, I perish. But she's asked Mordecai to go rally the Jews in Susa and to fast. Abstain from food, abstain from um, drink. And so the three days have ended. And now she is putting on her royal robes. And she comes into the, the inner court and she positions herself where King Xerxes can see her. So um, sorry, I was going to read this scripture on the, on the third day. This is the first part of Esther 5. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robe, stood in the inner court, of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters and the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace 
And it made me think about this moment where she's put on these robes and she's standing there. What do you think is in her mind at this time? How do you think that she feels? Some of the words that I wrote down, terrified, resolved, emboldened. Maybe she's angry. Why does it come to this? She's desperate. And I wondered also during this time of fasting that has led up to this moment, I wondered if the Jews in Susa um, and Esther herself thought about another Hebrew that ended up in the palace and very unlikely and did so because of a plot to annihilate, annihilate all the Hebrew baby boys. Remember, Moses ends up in the palace, and ultimately, he sees the injustice. He ends up in his own middle spaces, and he comes back to deliver his people. And I thought, do you think they were praying God in the same way that you put Moses in the palace and you rescued your people? Will you rescue us now? Will you give Esther the moment to be the Moses? So... What do you think happened with Esther that she is willing to do this? So last week we talked about that, I think, in our groups and about Mordecai's appeal to her. But, you know, there's something interesting about this picture of her standing there in her royal robes and just who she, I think, is becoming and her identity that she's assuming that she is um, part of the people of God. And this moment has arrived where it's her. I mean, there's nobody else that has the access to King Xerxes that she has. And so why and how does she come become emboldened like that? You know, before this time and um, up to now in the book of Esther, she was called Queen Esther one time. Starting here in the second verse, um, King Xerxes calls her Queen Esther, and she is called Queen Esther 13 times after this. There's something that has changed. She is stepping into the role that God has placed her in. So how does King Xerxes respond to her? Well, this is the moment, right? We're waiting. I think about how that must have been for Mordecai outside the gates. His cousin that he has raised as his own is in there and she is putting her life on the line. And so it says in chapter, two, or I'm sorry, in verse two, and when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then, then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you even to the half of my kingdom. So what we see is that Xerxes grants favor to Esther. And I think we might ask ourselves at this moment, who is in control here? Well, Xerxes obviously has the opportunity to be the one in control and to give her favor and allow her to, to touch the scepter. But you know, in Proverbs 21.1, we're told the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. The king does everything Esther requests, and he does it very quickly. 
Mordecai, what's he doing during this time? He's waiting. You wonder, does he know what the outcome of this is? Would there be indications? Did Hathak the eunuch come out to tell him what's going on? We don't know. But we do see in verse 9, Mordecai is mentioned very briefly in this chapter. And here's what's said. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. What is Mordecai doing? Mordecai is doing what Mordecai has been doing. He is steadfast and faithful. He is not going to bow. He is not, or I should say, he's not going to stand and rise and show respect to Haman. And then in the midst of this scene, we see that Haman's pride grows and so does his hatred. So Haman leaves this scene. He's been invited into the uh, feast. He's been with the, the king and the queen and what an honor that must be. That, I mean, that is the height of honor. And he's in that feast and he then finds out he's invited to another the next day that Queen Esther is going to host. And he leaves and he goes home to brag to his family after he's passed Mordecai, who has disrespected him in his eyes. And so what a fun time that must have been to be invited over to Haman's house so he can brag to you, right? Because we're told he brings his family together, so it's going to be his sons and his wife Zeresh, and it's going to be his friends. And it says he brags to them about his riches his promotions, that he has been promoted above all these other people. He is second in command, and he's going to let everybody know that. The number of his sons and how he's been invited to a feast with only the king and Esther. But it's interesting because in verse 13 he says, Yet all this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. How interesting. I mean, in, how, in so many ways, he's arrived at this penultimate place within the kingdom, within the empire of Susa, this enormous empire on earth with all these riches and they're conquering nations and they're growing and half of the world's population is in this empire and he's invited to a feast with the king and the queen. Wow. But it's all ruined for him because Mordecai, won't rise up to him. So I think what we find out about this, as we look at this, is that number one, pride lies to us. He assumes Esther is supportive of him. He's deluded. He is not correctly seeing himself or the situation. And hatred, hatred takes us places and we can't control it. Proverbs 25, 28 says, a man who does not control his temper is like a city whose walls are broken down. In, in these cities, if the wall was not there, what that meant is they were subject to invasion from anyone. Any number of people could, could come in and overtake them. So a man who is lost, a person who is lost in his or her anger, is a person that is very vulnerable 
And yet, Haman really thinks he's in control. He is very deluded. And I think it's such an interesting uh, little twist of irony, if you will, that who tells him what to do about this problem that he has? His wife, Zeresh, tells him what to do. Build the gallows so, he, so you can hang Mordecai. Well, wait a minute. I thought back after Vashti went and listened to Xerxes that there was a decree that went out that men are to control their house. But isn't that interesting? And you know what's also interesting? When we open this chapter and we see Esther standing in that air, uh, standing in the inner court before Xerxes, not invited, that he has had one wife who wouldn't come when he called her, and he has another wife who comes when she's not supposed to. I just think this is a very interesting picture into how well are these guys controlling their wives, right? It's not going well if that's their goal. So what does all of this tell us? Sorry, I can't find the clicker. Um, first of all, I think this tells us that God is sovereign that God is always in control of events. We may not see him. We may not, in the book of Esther, see his name. But God has, has a will. And his will, he, we've seen, and we've talked about this, is that his covenant people will continue. And so God is sovereign over the events of humans. What else do we see? Obedience is costly. When Esther begins to live into her identity that she is part of the people of God, this is costly. This puts her in danger of physical death. And yet she continues and she goes forward. And then I would say the other thing is that under pressure, our true character is revealed. Esther, her pressure, she is fearing for her life and the life of um, her people. And who, does, who is she, what does she show up like? How is she? She seems to be a, wo a woman filled with wisdom and prudence. She, she arranges the time that she will invite him to the feast. She doesn't from the get-go say, Hey, you know, my people are in danger. She seems to understand how to proceed in, the, in that setting. She shows respect and humility. Haman is under pressure, and his pressure is of his own doing. He has growing hatred, and he has growing um, anger, and his pride is overtaking him. And so what happens to him under pressure? Well, he devises a murderous plot. He is a bitter, resentful man. He's jealous. And he will the lengths that he will go to to eliminate those who stand in his way seem to be unlimited. And what about Mordecai? Who is he? He's steady. He's continuing on. And Mordecai is the one who rallies his people. He is behind the scenes playing a very pivotal role. So recently, 
I read this story, and I wonder if any of you read this story, about a landfill in Los Angeles County. Who's from California around here? I know. Yeah, okay, just two of us. I was born and raised in California. Um, in this landfill, it's kind of north of LA, it's on fire, and it is expected to burn for two to four years. There are eight government agencies involved. There are noxious fumes coming out of this fire. There is toxic water, and people are leaving their homes in the area because it smells so bad and the health risks. And um, yeah, and so it, even a drainage system that's in there to get that toxic water out of there has melted, okay? This is bad news. And again, it's supposed to burn for two to four years. Why is it burning? It's about what's in there, what has been buried in there. And when it gets buried in there and it's put under pressure, it heats up. And it's just uncontrollable. And I was thinking about that and just like, like, what do you do about this? Uh, I don't know. The go eight government agencies have to figure that out. And the company is expected to face incredible fines that will, I'm sure, way put them out of business. And I was thinking about other things that get buried. So we all know, how do you, how do you get a diamond? It's coal that's buried deep, deep below the Earth's surface for a long period of time. And it's about what is in there tells us what we're going to get out of it. And you know, our hearts are so like that, right? We get put under pressure. We get put under the pressure of finances and relational stress, and we get put under the pressures of um, health problems and, and what to do with our kids if they're not, do, you know, what, what their future looks like. All kinds of things cause us pressure in our lives. And if we're not in pressure, Right now, experiencing that, I'm going to like paraphrase Chris Payne, we're getting ready to experience pressure or we're going into it, right? That is just the way it is while we are here in, on earth in this time. And it just got me thinking about who we are comes out. And as I was thinking about that this week, what really got me thinking about it was my own self. So. Um, at work, it's just been kind of a weird season. A lot's going on. There's a lot of stress. I think people are feeling some conflict because there's so much happening. And I've just had some weird interactions with some coworkers that I have not liked. And uh, not the coworkers, but the interactions. <laughs> Although, um, and so, so I'm just going to tell you how a little bit about my ugly heart. So I was standing in front of the mirror the other day, getting ready for work and thinking about the situation. And not too long after I started thinking about it, I would say it's probably fair to say I was really scheming. And I was thinking about how I'm going to address this situation and force the hand of this person, right? This is like, I'm like deep in this thought. Well, then I get distracted and I start thinking about, oh man, I got to think about chapter five. What, are, what is God saying? I got to really like get going on this. And as I begin to think about this, you know, I, I, the Holy Spirit reminded me that the same God who 
did this amazing thing and was sovereign over these events for these people in a much more significant situation where so much was at stake, he's adequate for it all. And it just reminded me like, okay, who do I really want to be? How do I want to show up out there in the world? I don't want to show up as the schemer. It feels good for a moment, but it doesn't really lead to where I want to be. I want to be faithful and I want when the pressure comes, I want to be the person who shows the fruit of the spirit. And I was telling a friend about this and I was saying, you know, I just sometimes you just want to make people do things. And she said, but you know, the thing is, it's only God that can change the heart. And I was like, man, that's a whole word. And, and so for me this week, I really prayed about that. And I've really tried to live into that and say, Lord, this is bugging me, but you're big enough to handle this. And so anyway, I share that with you to just tell you that, you know, under pressure, we do show who we truly are, but we can make a choice. And it's never too late to say, God, I want to choose to be the person under pressure that shows the world who you are. So our bottom line in this for tonight is under pressure, our true character is revealed. Okay? All right. I'm going to pray for us, and then we can head out to our classes. Father, I thank you for uh, this scripture, Lord. I thank you for this um, fifth chapter um, that you made it come alive, Lord, that you give it to us so we can learn. Lord, I'm really grateful for your sovereign hand uh, in the lives of your people. And Lord, we're your people, and we desire to follow you. Lord, we desire that you be shown to this world in a way um, that is fitting of who you are. And so I pray, God, even as we feel the pressures of life, Lord, that we'll continue to lean on you uh, for our lives. And we just pray this in your name. Amen.